Welcome to Piecemeal, a podcast hosted by the EMILY program where we put it all together for you. Piecemeal discusses topics related to eating disorders, body image issues, and how society may contribute to distorted thinking. I'm your host, Claire Holtz, and today is one of our recovery series episodes. Listeners, please keep in mind that our recovery series features voices of those in eating disorder recovery and that these episodes may be triggering at times. We ask that you use your discretion when listening. But today's episode, we are talking to Rachel Moe. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Hi, Claire. I'm good. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're happy you could join us. For our listeners, Rachel Moe is a 30-year-old registered nurse, aunt, coffee connoisseur, and writer. She loves sharing her experience of recovery in hopes of connecting with and helping others. Rachel has suffered from anorexia, bulimia, exercise addiction, and substance abuse. She just celebrated five years sober from substance abuse this past June. Congratulations. Thank you. It's very exciting. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about what that was like? Yeah. So I, you know, I didn't really accept that I had a problem with drinking. And I think that it was very easy to hide between behind my eating disorder. Um, but once I kind of came to the decision that I do struggle and I pursued sobriety, it has truly been one of the greatest gifts in my life, and I definitely look forward to talking about that. So, You also started and currently lead an Eating Disorders Anonymous meeting in Duluth. How did you come to start that? Yeah, so I had been down in the cities a couple times in treatment, and I went to my first ever Eating Disorders Anonymous in the city, Eating Disorders Anonymous meeting in the cities, and I just saw such a need for that in Duluth, and it was something that I could, you know, take the what I learned in Alcoholics Anonymous and apply it to my eating disorder, and it's something that I'm really passionate about. So I really just did some research on what it took to start a meeting and started one. And you're on a blog as well, correct? Yes, I am. That's pretty pretty recent and still a lot of a lot of work in progress on that blog. What are you hoping to do with the blog? I'm really just hoping to share my story through sobriety as well as struggling with an eating disorder for so long. And, you know, I'm hoping to help people and reach out to other people and just be my vulnerable, authentic self. That's kind of the theme of the blog is, you know, living an authentic, vulnerable life. Love it. What's the name of the blog? The blog's name is Mo's Musings. So it's mosmusings.com. Okay, perfect. So listeners, you can check that out as well. But let's start at the beginning, Rachel. So to get a timeline of your story, can you share when you noticed you had a problem with eating or food or body image? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's important to note that from the time that I realized I had a problem and then when I actually started using eating disorder behaviors, there was quite a time gap. So I first ever started using eating disorder behaviors in seventh grade. I transitioned to a new middle school and I was bullied pretty horrifically from day one. So I don't know why, but I was, these girls kicked me, hit on me, hit me, slapped me, um, threatened me, and it was just a really scary, terrifying time. And, you know, I really internalized it as something that I had done wrong, something wrong with me. I became really ashamed and really embarrassed to the point where I didn't want to tell my mom. And I just remember this time being very, I was full of fear, being very afraid to go to school. You know, once my mom did find out about the bullying, she allowed me to stay home for a little while and do work from home. And um, I just, I stopped eating at school in seventh grade. I really didn't have space for it. It was just, I, the, you know, choosing not to eat distracted me from my, from my anxiety and my fear that I felt. And it was never like a decision of, 
I'm going to lose weight and do this. It just became a useful tool for me. And sometime in middle school as well, I must have started to eat in secret and eat at night. And I don't really remember this, but I remember my mom cleaning my room and finding wrappers and, you know, asking me about it. And throughout this whole time, I just really, you know, explained to my parents that I just don't feel well. I feel sick. I, you know, don't have an appetite because of my anxiety. Um... And then it wasn't until my ninth grade year that I started to struggle with purging. And I think my mom caught on pretty quickly to this. So she, like any mom would, decided to make me a doctor appointment for these like stomach aches and anxiety. And she made the decision to not go into the room with me and kind of allow the space for me to say something maybe that I wouldn't say if she came with me. And it was our it was our family doctor. I didn't see a pediatrician and he was an older male. And I don't remember exactly how the conversation went. Um, it's all kind of a blur, but I do remember telling him that, you know, I, I hate my body. I have I think I have a weird relationship with food. I make myself sick sometimes after eating. And he, unfortunately, um, pulled out a BMI chart. And, you know, at that point I was at a normal weight. And, you know, this was over 20 years ago. Um, or probably right around 20 years ago, and he pulled out a BMI chart and said, you know, you're a normal weight, you're not underweight, you're not overweight, therefore you can't have an eating disorder. And I remember leaving that appointment really, really ashamed and angry, and I didn't want to tell my mom what the doctor said. I did eventually, and I think my mom called the doctor and probably gave him an earful. (laughs) And it's really hard for me not to think about that time and think about how differently my life could have looked like had I gotten treatment at that point. Um, But then my eating disorder kind of went unnoticed and untalked about until the summer between my 11th and 12th grade year. And all throughout high school, you know, I did struggle with anxiety and depression and probably my junior year I started engaging in self-harm, but the summer between my 11th and 12th grade year, my parents bought a treadmill, and I was always a very active child. I played basketball, softball, and soccer, but basketball was kind of the sport of choice for me, and I remember at this time, I started to exercise in addition to sports, so I would go home, and I would use the treadmill, and my eating disorder struggle became apparent on the outside. And it was towards the beginning of my senior year when my mom said, you know, you're going to get you're going to get help for your eating disorder. Um, She did some research. I do have two relatives on my dad's side who have struggled with anorexia. So she found a therapist in Duluth. At the time, there was no Emily program in Duluth. Um, She said, I want you to see this therapist. I said, no, I'm not going (laughs) to see this therapist. I don't have a problem. And she and my dad then said, you know, if you don't, you won't be able to play sports. We'll take your car away. We really want you to do this. And, you know, at that point, I wasn't 18. And so I did go see this therapist for some time. And she worked closely with a dietitian at the hospital that I would see. But I was really going for my parents. And, you know, I think I had a lot of resentment, too. I did grow up with parents that both dieted. So it was very confusing to me why they were seeing a problem with what I did when like I remember being very young and my parents like having cheat days on Sundays and then they would get back on track with their diet on Mondays. And so I was probably pretty resentful at my parents as well. But I did go see the therapist and 
I stopped going almost, I think, instantly when I turned 18. So I turned 18 right around graduation, and I stopped going to see these the therapist and the dietitian. And then it wasn't until, you know, from the time I was 18 to the time I was 20, my symptoms really just turned into um, anorexic symptoms, and I had my first really big downward spiral with anorexia. And at this time, I was avoiding my parents. I, you know, anytime I saw my mom um, specifically, she would really urge me to get help, to go to treatment. And I would just deny, you know, no, I don't have a problem. I'm not going to do that. And I would just avoid her for like weeks and sometimes months at a time. And it was this, the Christmas of 2009. And I decided to go over to my parents for Christmas. And I was back and forth about it because I was afraid of the food and afraid of being, you know, possibly encouraged to eat things. And I just had my first big breakdown. I remember feeling so out of control around food. I remember, you know, just the panic and anxiety I felt. And at the time, I was not living at home, but I ended up staying the night at my parents' house. And I just sobbed on the couch all night. I promised my parents that after the holidays, I would go to treatment. And then I woke up the next day, and the eating disorder panicked and it's kind of the insanity of the disorder I told them I was fine I acted like nothing happened Um, and it wasn't until two months later that I was driving I was leaving my boyfriend's house at the time and I remember this this was a pretty significant moment in my eating disorder struggle I was driving and came to a stop sign and I couldn't remember the right side of the road to drive on because of my malnourishment and I just didn't feel safe driving. And I remember at that point, I was closer to my dad and I called him and I just told him, you know, I'm gonna make the phone call today. I'm gonna go to treatment in the cities. And that was the the combination of the Christmas Eve and the driving were kind of the two moments where I first ever acknowledged that I had a problem with my eating disorder. You started treatment. What was that like knowing that you made the choice versus your parents telling you? Um, It was definitely different. I think that I was initially, I was definitely doing it for myself and because I wanted to make some changes in my life. And also, I think that that first time in treatment was quite the experience. And I think that I was very willful and I probably could have gotten a lot more out of it. And for me, in my recovery story, I had to, you know, I had to go to treatment quite a few times to really realize that this was something that had to be taken seriously and wasn't just going to go away by itself. And while this was happening and you were in treatment, you were also struggling with alcohol use. Do you remember when you realized that that substance use was a problem? Yeah, I would say it's pretty similar to my eating disorder where, you know, I started struggling long before I realized it was an issue. I, you know, to give a little background, I grew up in an alcoholic family. My dad was an alcoholic and he still is, but he's sober today, which I'm very grateful for. But I remember it really having an impact on my childhood. I remember my parents talking about divorce at times and just really hating alcohol at a really young age because I felt like it kind of tore our family apart at times. So I was a pretty good kid in high school. I didn't, I didn't really drink a lot, maybe two or three times. I, you know, like I said, I was active in sports and I kind of knew the consequences. And I think my drinking really kind of took, 
over my freshman year of college. I moved away. I was living in the dorms. And at this point, I was probably drinking five times a week, I would say, while also struggling pretty significantly with my eating disorder. But I don't think I thought it was a problem then either. I think it was pretty easy to look at other people and people in the dorms that drink often. And, you know, binge drinking is pretty common in college, especially, I think, the first couple years. There was one moment my freshman year when I was going to a 10 a.m. class and I was still intoxicated from the day before. And I thought, well, this might not be this might not be normal, but I could look at other people who were doing the same or, you know, people would drink in class during homecoming week. And I, I just I always rationalized. It was very easy to rationalize. So after my freshman year of college, I moved home and I didn't end up living back home, but I ended up transitioning school to school, a school back in Duluth and working as a bartender and server. And unfortunately, I met a girl that I worked with who sold her own her own prescription of Adderall, which is a stimulant. And this became something that I struggled with for the next two and a half years it definitely like fueled my eating disorder and I kind of you know from the age of 18 to 20 I was in a really scary place with the amount that I was exercising and restricting and then I would take this stimulant maybe two or three times a week and during this time I remember feeling you know really afraid at times I would be at the gym and remember my heart feeling like it was gonna fail or you know laying in bed at night trying to sleep and feeling like my heart was beating out of my chest and I also like the insanity of the disease I also didn't think that I had a problem with Adderall I thought that I only took it because it decreased my appetite I thought that I could control the amount I took it Um, And then when I was 22, I had an unfortunate incident where I actually was drinking and overdosed on the amount of Adderall I took. And that next day, I went to my mom and told her what had happened. I remember I woke up and my lips were blue and my hands were blue and my brain was just like super foggy. And I gave her what I had left of my Adderall. And luckily and thankfully from that day, I haven't struggled with that substance. Um, But even in those moments, I didn't really think that I had a substance use disorder. I think there was a lot of denial. It's, you know, I already struggled with how different I was from my peers, being that I had an eating disorder. I didn't want to acknowledge that my drinking and um, substance abuse was an issue. So I just, you know, I would blame it on my eating disorder. I would say, you know, I only drank to extremes because I was using it as a way to cope with eating disorder symptoms or the way I felt in my body. And I actually recently wrote a blog post on the Emily program about this. And it was a really painful thing to accept. And I had a lot of really big red flags, like the overdose on Adderall. I also suffered from a seizure when I was 24. And they don't know if that was you know, eating disorder related or drinking or a combination. But the first time that I realized for myself that I had a problem with alcohol and substances was when I was 24. I was in treatment for my eating disorder at the time and I was participating in family week, which is where my family came down for the week and we did family therapy and family groups and um, family meals. And I was always in the substance use groups in treatment, but I never acknowledged that 
that was actually an issue for me. Um, once again, it was like the rationalizing and I think addicts are really good at hiding their diseases and I think that's true with eating disorders as well. But my therapist at the time in treatment had a history in chemical dependency and she just said in a family session, you're an alcoholic and you need to consider a life of sobriety. And I remember looking over at my parents and I don't know what it was about that time because I can promise you my treatment team in Duluth was telling me this for like three years. (laughs) Um, But I think it was a combination of her background and seeing the look in my parents' eyes and they were nodding their head. I mean, they were the ones that were getting the calls at 2 a.m. to come get me because I got kicked out of the bar or I was, you know, unable to walk or was trying to leave by myself. And, you know, they absolutely knew I was an alcoholic. And although it made them sad as well, they wanted me to be sober more than anything. So I think that was the first time that I accepted that it was a problem. How did struggling with a dual diagnosis of an eating disorder and a substance use disorder impact your recovery process? Yeah, so I think initially it really slowed it. I think that, I think this is a great question because co-occurring disorders are so much more common than people think and they also are so different. So initially during those years where I was really in denial and I, you know, wasn't willing to work on my substance abuse, it slowed my recovery process. I think if you are someone who struggles with co-occurring disorders, it's really hard to make progress on one when you're actively engaging in the other. And for me, it was just impossible. And I think that this was really frustrating because I like fell into this four-year process of go to treatment, make progress on my eating disorder, relapse with substances, relapse with my eating disorder. But once I did find sobriety, it so greatly enhanced my eating disorder recovery. I am an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 steps have just given me a framework for living life and not only living life, but living life on life's terms. You know, I can't control everything, although I might try. And, you know, I think it's really important to talk about like the difference between substance abuse recovery and an eating disorder. So, you know, AA uses the model of abstinence and, you know, that doesn't really apply to my eating disorder. Abstinence was kind of part of the problem. So once I, but I was able to notice that, you know, there are certain symptoms for me in my eating disorder that are very similar to drinking. So I think of running and I quickly came to this realization that running for me lights up the addict part of my brain and is definitely something that like once I start doing, I have a really hard time controlling the amount and it starts out maybe as a little, but within weeks or months, it's pretty self-destructive. And and once I realized this, I realized that I could, you know, go to any lengths like I did to stay sober to try to abstain from this symptom. What has living with an eating disorder and being in recovery taught you? Yeah, so I think this is... A great question and I think that because I think that eating disorders do serve a purpose and I remember when I was first in treatment and a therapist asked me to write a thank you note to my eating disorder and I was kind of like what like why would I do that but really it opened up my eyes to how my eating disorder did serve me a purpose in times where I really didn't have anything else 
And um, although I would never wish an eating disorder on my worst enemy, I think being that I started struggling at such a young age, it really has shaped me into the person that I am today. Um, And first, I just think that it has taught me about my resilient nature. I think that having an eating disorder and maintaining an eating disorder for so long is a lot of work. And when I realized this, I, you know, realized that if I put half the amount of energy I put into my eating disorder, into my recovery, I could do amazing things. And I found this to be really true. And I think it just really showed me that, you know, I am a persistent person. And if there's something that I want, I'm going to work really, really hard to get it. And I think that I can use this in a really healthy way. And also I can use this in a not so healthy way. So it's kind of like finding that, finding that tricky balance. Um, Another thing it has taught me, you know, I really struggled with identity early on in my eating disorder recovery because my eating disorder developed at such a young age and I didn't feel like I knew who I was. However, when I was in treatment and trying to get better, you know, my family would use the same word to describe me. And, you know, my aunts would always say, we just want the spunky Rachel back. And I I hated it. I was like, I don't think I'm spunky. I don't know what that is. Um, And I think that that's the person that they knew. And I was that person prior to struggling from an eating disorder and going through some trauma. And so spunky is defined as like courageous, brave, um, determined and with a little bit of sass or attitude or wit. And I think that that like is a hundred percent like who I am and I'm a pretty, you know, I'm a pretty outgoing and passionate person when I'm well. However, when I do start to struggle, I think that that person goes away pretty quickly and I'm much more passive and, you know, don't really put my energy into things that bring me joy. And I don't think that had I struggled with an eating disorder and that piece of me would have been taken away, that I would have realized that. Um, So I'm grateful for that. It has also taught me the importance of vulnerability. So early on in my recovery, I was introduced to Brené Brown, and I was actually able to do a workshop at the EMILY program on one of her very first books, which I was very grateful for. And I think that it has truly changed my life. I, prior to entering recovery, I was so ashamed about who I was, about my life. I didn't think that I had anything to offer the world. And I just lived in secrecy. And as I kind of started to let people in, I realized that vulnerability is really important. And my first kind of coming out with vulnerability was towards the end of my nursing school career. It was my last semester of nursing school and I was in a pretty bad place with my eating disorder. And to go back to like the resilience, I was determined to finish nursing school, even though my treatment team wanted me in treatment. And I was having medical appointments weekly at that time down in the cities. And I went to a medical appointment two days before my pinning ceremony and was sent to the hospital and didn't make it to my pinning ceremony because I entered treatment the next day. And that was really devastating. And I also felt some responsibility to my classmates to let them know what happened and why I wasn't at the pinning ceremony with them. So I wrote a little social media post and, you know, filled them in on my struggle with anorexia and an eating disorder as well as mental health. I filled them in on the last couple days and how I had struggled throughout nursing school. And I congratulated them on on the pinning. And I, I did graduate, but I just, you know, I wanted to let them know what was going on. And it was terrifying. 
And also the result was like so much love and so much support. And I had people reaching out to me, telling me that they struggle with mental illness or that me sharing my story encouraged them to share their story. And from that day on, I decided that like vulnerability has to be my option. And, you know, I, if I, if my, if sharing my story can help one person, then my mission is complete because that is truly what brings me joy is that connection and helping others. And I think that, you know, from that day, I've really tried to wear my heart on my sleeve. And I think, you know, there is, there is a balance. It's not like I walk around telling everyone that I have an eating disorder and I'm an alcoholic, but if the situation presents itself and I can share something that might help someone else, I'm definitely going to do that. And I think that that's something that my recovery has given me. And also I think it's important to note that sometimes we're vulnerable and we might not be met with the same self-compassion. And that has happened to me. And then That's like where the inner work comes in of, you know, my story still matters. And it makes me think of Brené Brown when she says, you know, if people aren't going to get in the ring with me, then, you know, maybe those people aren't my people or aren't, you know, worthy of my time. And I, yeah, I just really am a strong component of vulnerability now. And then last but not least, I think my eating disorder has taught me that time is so valuable. So if I think of all the things that I've missed over the years because I was in treatment or because I was too sick to go. Um, I've missed, you know, one of my nephew's baptisms. I've missed weddings, birthday parties. I missed Christmas two years I was in treatment. Um, I just don't want to, I don't want to miss out on anything anymore. So anytime that I'm having you know, the ideas or urges to like go back to eating disorder behaviors, I have to really remind myself that an eating disorder is not sustainable. And eventually I'm going to have to go back to treatment or take time away from time I could be spending with loved ones to work on this. And I don't want to do that anymore. You know, me and my mom used to not be able to spend time together because we would try and things would be going great. And then we would have to eat a meal or snack and it would be a disaster. And Life is too short and I don't want to waste any more time getting in arguments with my loved ones about something, I mean, so trivial as food. Even though I know it's not trivial, it just, it like having missed all the things that I have missed, like I just, that's not what I want to do anymore. Thanks for sharing all of that. Yeah. Who was the most influential person during your eating disorder struggle and recovery? I have a pretty great support system. And the first people that I think of are definitely my parents. So they have kind of been there from day one, just encouraging me, supporting me, coming to see me when I'm in treatment. So they also live in Duluth. So they would often come and drive and spend the weekends with me when I was in treatment. And there's also other times that they supported me by, you know, when I've had to go to treatment abruptly, they would move me out of my apartment that I was living in. They actually had to do that twice for me. Um, And then my mom, she has just been probably the rock of my treatment. Um, Although we had some really rough years, she is the most reliable person and also the one person that's not afraid to stand up to my eating disorder. So she kind of errs on the side of, I'm gonna say something versus not say something because I'm concerned for you. Um, yeah, I'm very grateful for all that she has done for me. Um, another person or two people that I think of are my siblings. So they both live down in the cities 
and they both have kids and have really busy lives. Um, but every time that I've been in treatment, they would come visit me and, you know, even the 20 minutes or an hour, hour that they would drive to come see me um, was just like the highlight of my day or even my week when I was in treatment. And they both have kids and I want to be a good example for my nieces and nephews. So, you know, it would inspire me to get through the week and it just, I don't even think I can put into words how meaningful their visits were for me. And also, you know, today they still support me. They still ask about, you know, how I'm doing. They still allow me to stay with them if I'm coming down for appointments. They're just really influential people in my life. Um, So I'm very grateful for them. Also, I think that it's really important, you know, if you are struggling with an eating disorder to work with a treatment team. And I have been working with a treatment team from the EMILY program since 2010, so coming up on nine years. And my whole treatment team is amazing. However, I think that my dietitian in Duluth has been probably the most consistent, most reliable, like strongest person on my treatment team. She has really tried to build trust with me from day one, which is not an easy thing to do. She has seen worth in me when I didn't see worth in myself. She also worked really closely with my mom towards the end of nursing school when I was at one of my worsts. And she just never gave up on me and was kind of someone who held hope for me and was my healthy voice when I couldn't find my own. Um, And then last but not least, my boyfriend is a big support, part of my support system. So we've been dating for right around two years. And really from day one, he has been really open about his own struggles. I think it was on our second date when he was like, hey, I just want to be honest with you. I struggle with anxiety and, you know, I take medications for my anxiety. And I remember thinking it was kind of funny and I was like, wow, like, let me tell you about my (laughs) mental health. But it really, like, from day one, it really did, like, allow me to be open and at the beginning of our relationship there weren't really you know any secrets we were open with each other and we supported each other and now today he you know is the person that supports me in my meal plan and you know will do supported desserts with me or go to the grocery store with me sometimes he'll go for me Um, and he's also he's also very teachable and willing to learn. He has also come to my dietitian appointment before, and he also struggles with addiction and is sober. So he does understand mental illness, but I think eating disorders are much more complex. But he hasn't given up on me. He's been willing to learn, and he's just someone that I really look forward to like building a future with. And he has just been really great in my recovery. I love that. So I'm happy for you. That sounds like you have an amazing support system. Yeah, I do. And I think it's important to note that like not everyone's support looks like this. And like this didn't happen overnight. Like, you know, my parents weren't the perfect support people. You know, we it took a lot of patience on my part, a lot of patience on their part, a lot of willingness on everyone's part, and a lot of trial and error. And, you know, I think that we all had the underlying goal of we want this eating disorder out of my life. And that's kind of what we kept our focus on while going, you know, going through support. So it definitely didn't, it it wasn't built overnight. And I think support can look like anything, you know, I think it can be 
just your treatment team. It can just be one close friend. It can be an online support group, but I think it's really important to have have at least that one person you can talk to. What are you personally working on right now? Yeah, so many things. So I think as far as my eating disorder goes, I am working on really trying to heal my body. So these last two years, I would say, have been my most stable years. And I say that because I have, you know, been stable enough to where I haven't had to go back to inpatient treatment. And, you know, for 10 years, it was kind of, I went almost every year. So this has really allowed me to work on healing my body. And, you know, I didn't talk much about specific symptoms, but, you know, when I was younger, I struggled with laxative abuse a lot. And so I have a lot of GI issues that, you know, both upper and lower GI issues. And I'm working pretty closely with um, a gastroenterologist and naturopath doctor to kind of heal my body, get it back to what's normal for my body now, and it's not going to look like it was prior to the eating disorder. Um, I'm also working on, you know, restoring a normal menstrual cycle. Like this is something that my eating disorder, you know, just took away for so many years. And so I guess like physically, I'm really working on allowing my body to heal and accepting that there has been some damage that has been done as a result of my eating disorder. And, you know, now things are going to look different for me and that's okay. I also am, you know, still working on a balanced relationship with exercise. This has been for sure the hardest thing about my recovery. And I, you know, still have to find you know what is in what what's moving for enjoyment versus what what's moving for punishment and this is a really tricky balance for me and i feel like i have a hard time still and i work closely with my dietitian to kind of figure this out and another thing about the exercise piece is I think people that have gone through recovery from an eating disorder can really relate to this, but when you first start doing the hard things and taking care of your body, you sometimes actually feel more tired than you do when you are struggling with symptoms. And for me now, it's like realizing that some days like going on a hike is too much and being okay with that. And, you know, that doesn't mean that I'm never going to be able to go hiking again, but I, it's really hard to say in that moment, like what my body needs is to do nothing. And so I think that that piece of finding, finding peace with exercise and movement is something that I'm still working on and really still is a struggle to this day. I, um, I'm also working on, um, work-life balance. So, um, I think, you know, I learned in my sobriety that, you know, I think people who have, you know, addictive nature, you know, struggle with the isms. So like I'm a perfectionist, I'm a workaholic, um, and I work in a job, I'm a registered nurse, and I work in a job where if I wanted, I could work every single day, 16-hour days, because we're constantly short-staffed. And, you know, for me, my work sometimes can be a replacement for movement because I my work is very demanding. I'm constantly on my feet, running after bed alarms, uh, moving patients. Um, and so I have to really work hard to you know, set limits on how many extra shifts I'm going to work or, you know, saying that I'm not going to work doubles because working 16 hours is not healthy for anyone. (laughs) Um, But that's still a really big um, struggle as well. Just like being okay with saying no and letting go of my like, like natural instinct, which is to be a people pleaser and just say yes to everything. And, 
trying to kind of break the, I guess, the kind of um, person that people think I am at work. Like they have this idea that I'm someone who picks up a lot. So I'm trying to kind of change that and take more time for me and to kind of slow down. Um, I, in life in general, am working on building a successful EDA meeting, Eating Disorders Anonymous meeting, which I know we talked about. We do the meeting at my church and we are making some changes this fall to kind of hopefully increase attendance. Um, So we kind of did a anonymous survey to get people's opinions and we're going to switch the day and time and so I've been putting a lot of energy into that and then also working on my blog trying to do more advocacy and speaking and sharing of my story because I think that that's just a really big thing for me and that really kind of fills up my cup is sharing my story and helping other people And then Sean and I are, you know, talking about potentially getting married someday and, you know, looking at buying a house. And yeah, I think that's that kind of sums it up. Well, I wish you the best with all of that. It all sounds amazing. Thank you. Before we end this episode, I just want to share your favorite mantra, which is moving forward is the only option. One day, one meal, one bite at a time. So thank you so much for joining us, Rachel. Thank you, Claire. Piecemeal is an Emily Program podcast with new episodes out the first Monday of every month and new Recovery Series episodes out the third Wednesday. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you'd like to learn more about the Emily Program and what we do, you can visit emilyprogram.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Emily Program. Piecemeal is hosted and edited by myself, Claire Holtz, produced by myself and Nancy Linden, with music by Dan Forkey. As always, the Emily Program wishes you well.